scripture is in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Good morning, Mesa Church. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen again. And let the church say amen one more time. All right. What a joy it is for us to be here this Sunday in the house of the Lord. I pray everyone had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, We had a a Christmas. Um, My son injured himself on Sunday of last week. And at the hospital, both of my children caught the flu, uh, so we had a Christmas, uh, Christmas of serving and serving and medication and serving. So it was great. It was great. Uh, a quick announcement before we get into today's message. Family Fusion, mark your calendars. Family Fusion will be next month in January. I believe the date is January 25th. There's some information in the bulletin about Family Fusion. Many of you are familiar with it. It's a church-wide event meant to bring families together uh, to enhance communication, fun, faith, spirituality. And we just ask that you attend, join, sign up. So there will be a registration put out on next Sunday so you can follow a link or simply register in the foyer. Uh, Though you may not have family here, we will do an adopt a widow or a single. So there are families who in the past have adopted widows and singles for this event. So everyone is encouraged to come to Family Fusion. All right, that's my only announcement. Let's get into today's message. Fatalities and fig trees. Fatalities and fig trees. Let me ask you a question. What's, what's your favorite fruit? Just, just yell it out. Apples, bananas, pineapple, mangoes, apples, pears, watermelon, peaches, watermelon, gummy gummy bears is not a fruit, (laughs) grapefruit, all right, well, my favorite fruit, as you probably could figure out is figs. I didn't know figs were my favorite fruit until I came to Arizona and had my first fresh fig from a tree. So good. So good. All the other figs I've had, they were dried. And they taste totally different when they're picked fresh from a fig tree. So I have grown to love and really appreciate figs. And I just want to inform you how much I love figs. 
So Edison and his wife recently bought a home here in Arizona, and they needed help moving. Now, this is the property where Edison and Teresa used to stay that they were renting out before they moved into their new home. Lo and behold, on their property was a delicious fig tree. And I said, brother, I will help you move. You do not have to pay me a dime. Just pay me in figs. So that is me getting my reward from the fig tree. I love figs. I love figs so much that if a tree is not available, I will go to Sprouts, I will go to their organic produce section, and I would grab a basket of figs. Don't tell my wife this, she doesn't know. But figs at Sprouts, fresh figs, $9.99 for five figs. That's how much I love figs. I love figs so much that when I can't afford them at Sprouts or they're no longer in season, I'll go to Amazon.com. And I will type in freeze-dried figs. And I will patiently wait for one-day shipping, <laughs> have them delivered to my home, and feast on freeze-dried figs. But why I really love figs is because Jesus loved figs. Amen? And we're going to talk about today fatalities and fig trees and see how Jesus used fatalities and a fig tree to teach us about repentance and bearing fruit in our lives. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, and this is where our main text is going to come from. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were, were worse sinners than all those other Galileans because they suffered this way? So there's Jesus standing in front of a crowd and they come to him and they bring up this situation, this event in their history. He's saying, they're saying to Jesus, you know the Galileans? The ones who were going to the temple in Jerusalem, going to worship, going to, to sacrifice to God? What happened to them? In the midst of them sacrificing to God, Pilate comes, meets them at their place of worship, pulls out his sword, and kills them. And he mixes the blood of the Galileans with the blood of the animal sacrifices that were used to worship God. So the Jews assumed that because of this gruesome death of the Galileans, that the Galileans had to be extreme sinners. Well, who were the Galileans? Why was this question even proposed to Jesus? The Galileans were a sect from among the Jews. Galileans were known to be oppositional to the Roman government, so much so that they refused to pay the tribute tax 
to the Roman Empire. In fact, the Galileans were also known as zealots. Zealots are uh, individuals who are extremely religious, but they're like religious fanaticals. They opposed anything and any government that set itself up above or against God. So the Galileans were a, a type of Jew that were, they were just highly religious. And so they often involved themselves in political revolts and anarchy. They were a thorn in the flesh to Pilate in the Roman Empire. So Pilate said, you know, these Galileans, they cause a lot of trouble for us. We need to get rid of them. And so they kill them as they're worshiping God. And so the Jews bring this to Jesus' attention. And they felt that maybe the death of the Galileans was justified because of their political stance. They figured that the tragic death of the Galileans was, matter of fact, in response to their sinful lifestyle, mainly political revolting and anarchy. But then Jesus condemns the audience because they judge the Galileans to be wicked simply on the basis of the tragedy and the gruesomeness of their death and their opposition to the government. Church, let me inform you this morning. The one who suffers greatly is not always responsible for their great suffering. So Jesus brings to their attention that death due to a tragic incident or a miraculous survival is not a measure of a person's righteousness. God has not always promised to rescue us from our troubles. Amen? There is nowhere in Scripture that gives us this promise that we as believers in Christ, that God will rescue us from every trial and tribulation that comes upon us. But God did promise to redeem us. Amen? Tragedy is not a penalty for sin. Pain and suffering is not a form of God's judgment. But we often think that it is. When things in our lives seem to be spiraling downward, when we're met with much adversity and opposition, we often think, you know, what, where's the sin that I need to get rid of? If I wasn't such uh, a great sinner or big sinner... You know, maybe things in my life will be going well. It's faulty theology. And then Jesus follows this idea with a warning. He says, the Galileans didn't die this way because they were such great sinners. He says, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the sudden death of the Galileans was meant to instill 
in the surviving community a sense of urgency regarding repentance and death. I often wonder, what's the significance of, of death? I understand that death is a response of, of sin and we live in a fallen world and so death is a natural occurrence of life. Many of us are, we have people in our lives that have passed away, friends and family. There have been members here at the Mesa Church that have passed away. And I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that life is finite. Life is limited. And we often forget that. We assume that we have the rest of our lives to live, well until we're 80, 90 years old. And that's not the case. And when death happens, when we are aware that God is trying to jolt us back into reality to get us to really examine our life and our stance with him. And then in Luke 13, moving on to verse number 4, Jesus takes it upon himself to tell of another tragedy. Now remember, the first one had to do with the Galileans. Let's read about this next one. Jesus says in verse 4, Well, how about those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? So at first Jesus was dealing with the Galileans, and now he's dealing with those who were in Jerusalem. Jerusalemites. Is that a word? Can we say Jerusalemites? I think it's a word. It's a word today. So Jesus, really what he's doing is dismantling stereotypes. So the people in Galilee were, were known as uh, country bumpkins. There were people who lived out in, on the outskirts. They were often seen as, I don't know, lower class, less educated, more urban. But those in Jerusalem, they were sophisticated. They were smart. They live this suburban lifestyle. Jesus is saying it doesn't matter. That they all had an issue. They all dealt with the same tragedy. And he says, the, the Jews who died at the tower, they were no wicked than you are. The sin of the Galileans, the same measure of sin that you have. There is no difference. So then Jesus admonishes the crowd a second time. He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Tragedy is a fact of life. We see it, we hear about it every single day. Tragedies happen due to car accidents, mass shootings, terror attacks, disease, house fires, drownings, physical assault, abuse, domestic violence, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, summer in Phoenix. <laughs> Tragedies are all around us. And sometimes, yes, sometimes 
sin is uh, a, a reason for tragedy. There are some sins that will lead us down a tragic road and cause our lives to end early. But I want to encourage you today by explaining to you that, that faith and worship does not buffer us against tragedy. In fact, the Galileans point that out, right? They were sacrificing, they were worshiping, and in the midst of that, they were murdered. Personal tragedy and hardship is not a measurement of our faith. There are good people who suffer great tragedy. Amen? So what Jesus is saying, he says, instead of speculating about the death of the Galileans, he says, focus on your heart. Focus on your sin. Rather than assigning wickedness to those who were killed by Pilate in the Tower of Siloam, examine yourself. Could it be that those who have passed on to the next life are reminders intended to capture our attention, causing us to reflect on the fruitless life that we live and turn to God with repentance? And I would say yes. Jesus is ultimately saying those who have died tragic deaths and those who remain alive have one thing in common sin. And the difference between the two are that those who have died and are no longer here, they can't repent from their sins. But those of you who are still here, those of you who are still breathing, you have an opportunity to repent from the sin in your life. That's the difference. And then Jesus follows these statements with a parable. And I believe this parable just emphasizes his point that much more. Verses 6 through 9. He says, there's a man that had a fig tree. He planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? I want you to say to your neighbor, don't take up space. I want you to say to your neighbor next to you, don't take up space. Amen. And he answered him, Sir, leave it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. So let's break down this, this parable for a moment. The owner of this vineyard is God. God is the owner. And the vine dresser of the vineyard, I would say, is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he says that in this vineyard, there's a fig tree. In Palestine, there were three types of fig trees. There were early figs, summer figs, and year-round figs. 
And in this particular parable, I believe that Jesus is referring to year-round figs, uh, trees that produce figs throughout the entire year. He says, for three years I've been coming back and forth seeking fruit and found none. And look, there's still no fruit on this tree. Fruitless trees, if you read the scriptures and you understand God's word, that fruit trees were a symbol of righteousness. They're a symbol of godly living. And you can see that in Psalms chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And then he talks about fruit. This fig tree in this vineyard was fruitless. So fruit, I would say, is the observable behavior of God's power working inwardly in us. It is the observable behavior of God's power working inwardly in our hearts, in us. It is the evidence of the unity between the Christian and God. It's our deeds. It's what we do. It's what we say. It's how we carry ourselves. It's our character. It's our personality. That when people come in contact with Christians, they should be coming in contact with who? With Jesus. With God. And when people come in contact with us and they see God and they feel God, that's how we know we are bearing fruit. And then Jesus says, the vine dresser came to this vineyard, came to this particular fig tree looking for fruit. So what's the implication here? The implication is that God is concerned and is paying attention to our lives. He is concerned about our lives and his eyes, his gaze is forever upon us, watching, watching us in expectation, waiting for us to bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit this morning? Have you been bearing fruit throughout your Christian walk? If so, what's the evidence? What's the evidence that God is working inward in you? Is it observable? Can people identify it? Then he says, for three years, for three years, there was no fruit. Now, I don't know if how far we need to take this parable if we're talking about a literal three years or is this more symbolic? Because when you think about a parable, remember a parable is, uh, the Greek word is throwing alongside, where Jesus takes a fact or reality of life and then he parallels it with a spiritual meaning and application. So parables, they, there are some limitations, but if you ever did word study on the number three in Scripture, Three often stands for or represents perfection. Okay? So if this is true, and we are fig trees, and God has been waiting three years for us to produce fruit. If it's not three literal years, maybe 
Jesus is saying, God has waited for us the perfect amount of time. He's given us the perfect amount of time for us to be fruitful. This fig tree had three years to produce fruit, and it did not. What have you done in three years? I've been here three years at the Mesa Church. Let me give you some conflict. I've been here three years, and there are times when I've come to worship, and I look around when I worship because I think worship is not only between us and God, but it's something that we do collectively unified as a family of God. And so worship is for our edification as well as we edify one another. And so I look around, and there are some people in here, and I've been here for three years, that don't sing. What have you done in the last three years? Has your prayer life increased in the past three years? Have you spread the gospel? Have you invited someone to worship? What have you done in the last three years? Have you started a ministry? Have you taught a class? Have you encouraged someone? Have you visited a sick brother or sister? Have you been to a connect group? The vine dresser seeks this fruit for three years and is disappointed every time he looks at this tree because it has not produced How many years have you been sitting in that pew? Three? Five? Ten? Twenty? Fifty? How many sermons have you heard? Countless. How many hours of Bible class have you attended? What's the result? How many of us are taking the the knowledge, the training that we have and are going out into the world bearing fruit with it? What's the result? We come here every Sunday. Many of us come here every Wednesday. And we've been coming here most of our entire lives. But what's the result? Are you better? Are you a better husband? Are you a better wife? Are you a better brother, sister? Are you a better supervisor? Are you a better employee? Are you a better Christian? Are you a better son, a better daughter? What's the point? Are you enriching the lives of people? Are you beneficial to the people in the world? Let me smile. The fact that we are alive at this moment, the fact that we have air in our lungs at this moment is a direct result of God's patience and care for us. We have not been cut down yet. The barren fig tree was in the vineyard using but not Producing. 
I didn't hear amen. Let me say that again. The barren fig tree was in the vineyard using but not producing. In other words, it was taking advantage of the resources. I mean, there were other fruit trees that were fruitful. It was just this particular one. So it's taking up space at least. And it's available to all the resources, the same resources as the other fruit trees. But this particular one does not bear fruit. So it's, it's using the resources. It's taking up space, but it's not producing. What about us? What have we produced? Are we sitting just taking up a space on a pew? Or are we producing the fruit that God desires from us? Maturity is asking, not what can the church do for me. Maturity is asking, how and where can I serve in the church and be of benefit and use to others? Let me move on. Then Jesus says, the vine dresser, he says, leave the tree alone. Don't cut down the tree yet. He says, let, let me dig around that tree. What's the implication? That the dirt, the soil, was hard. Right? So the vine dresser had to influence the environment for the tree to produce fruit. When the soil around the tree is hard, water cannot penetrate the soil to get to the roots of the tree. Right? So the soil has to be broken up. It has to be tilled. It has to be irrigated for the water to get to the tree. How many of us today aren't producing fruit because our hearts are hardened? It is almost impossible to produce fruit with a hardened heart. If your heart is hardened today, and guess what? I have a remedy. Number one, recognize, process, and replace your uncomfortable feelings or emotions. Don't get comfortable and complacent in these feelings. When your heart is hardened, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of hatred in your heart. And it's impossible to be a benefit to other people when these emotions consume you from day to day. Recognize them and replace them with more favorable, beneficial emotions like empathy. How about forgiveness? How about grace, mercy, patience, kindness? Number two, identify and work through any past trauma. A lot of times our hearts become hardened because of the things that we've experienced in our life. When we've been through something traumatic, it really makes trusting difficult. 
it really makes living life difficult. So I encourage you, find a way to identify the trauma in your life, and if it means going to a therapist, do so, so that your heart can be softened, ready to receive God's Word. Number three, remove yourself from toxic relationships and reestablish relationships with those who respect and value and accept you. If you're always in a toxic relationship, your heart is going to be hardened. You're going to be distrustful of people. You're always going to be on guard. You're going to be in a constant fight or flight mentality. How can you produce fruit when you're just trying to survive a relationship? You can't. Remove yourself from toxic people. Get around people who love you unconditionally. Fellowship with people who accept you, who validate you, who want to hear you, spend time with you, who encourage you, support you. Amen? Amen. Number four, allow God to work in you. Submit to his process. He wants to transform us inwardly. In order for that to happen, you have to break up the soil. You have to let Jesus do his work. And I don't know about you, but breaking up soil doesn't sound like a fun process for either party. And then serve. Serve, serve, serve. Be of benefit to others. Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving and serving makes you happy. It gets you out of your own head. You end up rubbing shoulders with people you probably would have never rubbed shoulders with. It gives you a different perspective on life. Soften your heart so God can do His work. Then He says, not only will I dig around the tree and break up the hard soil and the hard hearts, I will then use some fertilizer. Some translations say, Manure. You guys know what manure is? It has a certain smell to it, doesn't it? Some of you may not know what manure... It definitely has a smell to it. Some of you may not know what manure is. Uh, how about dung? Some translations say the vine dresser puts dung around the tree. Okay, you guys don't like that word either. Well... Let me just say a word that I know the younger children could relate to. Poop! Has anyone ever said poop from the pulpit before? Is that even allowed? I'll find out shortly, huh? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. He said, let me put poop around the tree. Maybe if I put poop around the tree, then it'll produce fruit. <sighs> Does your life stink? <laughs> I mean, seriously, is there ever a point in your life, in a season you've been through, maybe there's a particular year that really stands out to you, say, you know what, that, that time in my life really stunk. Or maybe that's now. Hardships happen. Trauma happens in our lives. Pain 
happens. Tragedy, misfortune, sickness, financial issues. They happen. Relationships dissolve. It happens. And when these things occur, we often feel, man, my life really stinks right now. I will say what seems to be a nuisance may actually be nutrients. Amen? Could it be that poop, it's like my fourth time saying it, (laughs) produces fruit? I mean, somebody cracked the code, didn't they? They were understanding that you put something on there that stinks, something you probably don't want to touch, but it's beneficial. Let me ask a show of hands. How many of you came to Jesus in the midst of a tragedy? How many of you came to Jesus that your life was so broken, you were so down, that the only place you could look was up? There's a few of us out there. There's a lady in Mississippi. She was telling me a time where she had suffered through Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. She was pregnant at the time, and she was a drug user. And she says it was that hurricane that brought her to Christ. She said her heart was jaded against humanity. She didn't trust. She didn't want to bother with any relationship. Her heart was hardened against the world. And against God. She told me she was an atheist. But she said it was through Hurricane Katrina that she saw and experienced the love of humanity. And you know who stepped in her life? A member of the Lord's church. And they connected her with other members of the Lord's church and moved her from Louisiana, rescued her from Louisiana to Mississippi, and she found her way to the bypass church of christ and she told me she said if it wasn't for the hurricane i would have never given my life to christ one more year the vine dresser tells the vineyard owner one more year jesus tells god one more year let me work with this this barren fig tree for one more year. The vine dresser agreed to do everything that he could for one year to help this fig tree produce fruit. Church, Jesus is our vine dresser. He is continually creating and manipulating our environment in hopes that we too will respond favorably, favorably to his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, by doing what? Producing fruit. What does all this imply about Christ and about God in relation to us? If we are the fig tree, that God is close. He's close to us. Breaking up soil, adding fertilizer, they're up-close efforts. You don't do this from a distance. I mean, this is really about God's care for us. Amen? 
This is really about God wanting us to be saved and to have a home with Him in heaven. And it's not easy. The process is difficult. It's painful. It smells. But it's for our benefit. This is what Jesus is trying to get the, the Jews to understand. The reason that they were still alive wasn't to point the finger and say, look at the sins of the Galileans. Look how wicked and evil they are. Jesus is saying, don't focus on that. They're dead. What they've done in their life is not of importance to you. What you need to focus on is your sin. Are you repenting? Are you bearing fruit? Their tree has been cut down. What are you doing with the life that God is still allowing you to live? I wonder, which time frame or which season are we in? Are we in the three years? Is God coming and going, watching and expecting us to bear fruit? Or are we at the one-year mark? Are we in the year of fruitlessness where Jesus is constantly coming close to us and cultivating us and doing everything in his power to get us to bear fruit? I don't know. Not to be too bleak, but maybe our year is up. Maybe there's some who may not make it through 2020. It's a reality. I don't like to talk about death. But it needs to be talked about. Because we are here for a reason, and God has given us a chance, an opportunity, through His divine perfect patience for us to bear fruit. It's interesting that God has also allowed us to partner with Him in helping others to bear fruit too. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I have planted planted the seed of God. Apollos has watered the seed. He says, but it's God who gives the increase. So church, we have a responsibility to one another. Amen? God has left us partially responsible for the spiritual growth and development of believers. That means that we have to come close to one another too. That means that we have to be involved in the fruit-producing capabilities of each other. The implication is that God expects us to be involved in each other's lives. Are you aware of the people in this congregation that aren't bearing fruit? If you are aware of that, have you said anything to them? How have you responded to their fruitlessness? Do you turn a blind eye? Do you say, oh, this isn't my responsibility, that's between them and God? That's not the way to think about it. In order to influence people, we also have to know their condition, right? If we're going to break up the soil, if we're going to add water, if we're going to try to encourage them to bear fruit, we have to know something about their condition, 
that means there's intimacy, there's self-disclosure, there's vulnerability that needs to happen for us to partner with God and to help others to bear fruit. But what is the fruit? What's the fruit that God is looking for? Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you increased in any of these areas since you have become a Christian? Because the Bible says the only way that this increase happens, the only way this fruit is produced, is if the Spirit is in you. The Spirit of God must be in you because these are His fruit. This is His fruit. And if we're not increasing in these things, then maybe we are that barren fig tree. As I close, John chapter 15, beginning at verse number 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes and prunes. Every branch that produces fruit so that it will, be, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. This is a fig tree. I just removed a branch. Now that this branch is removed, there is no way for this branch to produce fruit. Now that it is removed, it is in a state of dying. We are the branches. And if we are not in Christ, if we are not a part of the vine, then we too are dying. In order to bear fruit, we have to remain in Christ. Amen? And he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Without Christ in our lives, what we do spiritually is of no significance. We may be good people. But if we're not attached to Christ, if we're not attached to the vine, then there's no spiritual value in how good we are. Amen? In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, how do we get in Christ? Baptism. We, when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ, therefore grafted into the vine, which is Jesus. And it is at that moment that God gives us His Spirit so that we can produce the fruit that He is looking for. If you're here this morning 
and you're in need of anything, if you're in need of prayer, if you're in need of salvation, the water is ready. Just let that be known as we all together stand and sing.